You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Second Timothy, if you go back there again today, and uh, it would be pastoral malpractice if we didn't finish a chapter. So we're going to do that today, Lord willing. We started the first half uh, this morning and want to pick up in verse 14 tonight. Appreciate your partnership (laughs) in the new year. Many of you are very kind after church today just to say you're praying for our theme and uh, how that applies to us as a ministry. It did my heart good to see many of you already signing up and to make a list of those who didn't. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I hope that uh, you'll prayerfully enter into that uh, in the new year. One question that was asked, I want to make sure I was clear on, is if you have no children, you don't have to come on Sunday. We're just saying if you have kids, you have to come on Wednesday. So please help us with that. We don't have any kids' programs or nurseries or such, and uh, Brother John would probably kill me right now if I added another kids' program to staff, uh, so if you will, make note of that. So if you don't have kids, you, you got flexibility, all right? You may have, maybe you uh, have other things, but uh, you do have that. And for those of us with teenagers or younger kids, Wednesday is our slot. All right, Second Timothy chapter number 2, and let's begin in verse 14. Paul can <laughs> continues now to Timothy, of these things the things that we just studied this morning, put them in remembrance, Um, which is interesting because if you go back earlier to verse 7, he talks about considering what he has said. So Timothy's to remember things, and now he is to put others in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And then probably one of the most familiar verses that we know, study uh, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And from that we get, any of you grew up with Awana? Awana, A-W-A-N-A, you get that from this verse. If you didn't know that, there's a little freebie tonight, okay? I grew up with Awana, with all the colors and circles and races and competitions and memory. But we are striving to be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So tonight when I look at this, we talked about the process of discipleship. What I want to do is whet your appetite about what discipleship produces. And it's not a what, it's a who. It's who you will become. It's who you will become more like if you follow Jesus. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, thank you (laughs) for your goodness. Thank you for strength. And uh, we do pray for several, Lord, they're out today with just illness again. We pray as even some of them are tuning in tonight uh, with our live stream. I pray you would encourage them. Thank you for different texts and contacts they've made with me today. And just that they're still plugged in where they can be. Pray you would encourage them and renew them. I do pray for our study tonight that you would help us to realize that, God, you're not just in the process, but you have an end in mind. You have an end game to this uh, thing called discipleship. (laughs) I pray that we would be honest where we're settling for a lesser version of what you intend for us and to lean into not only the process, but the prospects, the product of uh, walking with you. Bless the study tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things that we do as a family is the boys will usually get a gift card to uh, (laughs) Barnes and Nobles, 
which you got to be selective what books you get nowadays in any store, even Christian bookstores. I've talked to you about that before. Don't just, hey, it's in a Christian bookstore. It must be a good book. Uh, but they get a gift card, and then one of the evenings, usually of Christmas break, we will all go there as a family and just kind of nerd out for a little bit and pick out a few books to, to purchase. And I was looking at a book that was trying to expand your vocabulary, and it had basically it was just a little token book for 10 bucks or whatever, but it had a word a day. And these are like words that we don't use in normal conversation. And one of them that I, I actually took a picture of it when we were at the uh, Barnes and Nobles. I don't think I violated any copyright laws that I know of. Um, a, a word a day, you can see it up in the corner, is the word neophyte. And the definition, I've heard this word used a couple of times, especially in more um, highbrow language. I'm sure you guys use this word all the time. Yeah, right. Um, but the word uh, originally meant newly planted, is the Latin word, and it was used in the Catholic Church specifically uh, to refer to a novice monk. So I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of monk, but these are the guys, maybe their bald spot wasn't perfectly you know, cylindrical. Is that a word? I think it is. Um, or something was off. But they were the new guys. Um, and this, as the book said, led to this word becoming used more generally to mean a recent convert to a religion or faith, or by extension, someone who is new or unaccustomed to something, a neophyte. Um, can I just say to you, it's one thing to be that when you are a new believer. But I hope that that's not where you're at tonight. If you've walked with Christ, if you're, you've been saved for any length of time, being a neophyte is inexcusable. We have the Spirit within us. We have His Word. We have the local church. We have all kinds of resources to grow and deepen our relationship with God. So that's what we want to talk about tonight is moving from a newbie to a grounded, growing believer in whatever the next step God has for each of us. Now, key statement tonight, where we lack momentum and motivation and discipleship, it is the result of thinking that where we are and who we are right now is okay with God. I want to tell you this tonight, and some of the truths we're going to talk about as they were this morning are a bit hard, but they're from the heart of God. He loves us and gives us these truths, that God has an agenda for you every day. And if you're the same, or you at least would like to think you're the same as yesterday, that's not a sign of faithfulness in some aspects. Sometimes, well, I'm sticking by the stuff. Yeah, the stuff that's not growing, the stuff that's not vibrant. And so we have to always be progressing. You, me, everybody that's a believer, God has an agenda for us uh, to grow. He has a product in mind. And I read this the other day. Someone was talking about, have you ever been around someone who's good at vision? Like they cast good vision, they motivate others. Um, and the author said this, he said, for your vision as a leader to gain momentum it must be grounded in the reality of the present. And I tried to do that this morning, say to you, here's where we're at. Let's start where we're at. We're the little kids in bottom of the last picture, trying to grow and change and not just be beginners. We have to start where we're at. So a vision has to be grounded in the reality of the present, listen, but always connected to the future. And so our discipleship has to own the present, but then say, God, where do you want me to go and who do you want me to become in this new year. So the question is this, in a day of faith that is often viewed only in abstract or unmeasurable terms, how do we commit to definitive goals produced in the life of every person who is faithfully following Jesus? All right, let's talk about two of them tonight in the balance of our time. And as I begin this morning, nothing I'm going to say tonight is novel, but it's necessary for us to hear it 
uh, as we lean into God's will. Number one, first of all, we need to become, this is the, the end game of discipleship, a faithful student of the Bible. Is that a novel thought? I don't think it is. But the product, I'm not saying we're reading the Bible, that that's something that, that we're doing. I'm saying we become this. We become, each of us in the room, a student of the Bible. It's not what we do, it's who we are. Um, I think a lot of times our New Year's resolutions are very do. And I, I would submit to you, we need to change those to who kind of resolutions. Who am I to become? Who does God want me to be? And what does that person do in relation uh, to the Word of God? The word disciple comes from a Greek word, uh, mathetes, uh, which has as its root meaning the mental effort needed to think through something. So the idea would be a disciple is always thinking, is always chewing on and meditating on. And so by definition, a disciple never stops learning, never arrives, quote unquote. They're always studying the Word. One of the things that most refreshes me, and some of you even in the room tonight, is you'll say to me, some is after church, those of you ahead of me in your walk with the Lord, I never saw that before. I learned that tonight. And, and you're, you're, you're a student of the Word, even at this stage of life. All right, let's talk about a couple of things as it relates to becoming a faithful student. What do we need to do? Go back to verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, of these things, put them in remembrance charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Number one, jot this down, we need to be studious with biblical labor. We need to labor in the Word. I think one of the reasons this book has yet to open up its secrets that God doesn't want to be secrets to us is we just have a cursory reading of it. I think I alluded to that briefly this morning. There are gems there are things beneath the surface that you have to mine them out. So the most precious things I know about God, not someone else told me about them or dropped it in my lap. It just, it came to me. I, I dug into it and I had a question. And then God, think of this, God himself gave me an answer through his word and his spirit. And so the laborious, the labor, the effort part uh, must be there. <laughs> For ma many of you, you just read the word and if you don't understand something, you just move on. <laughs> That, that's not what God wants with his word. Dig into it and slow down and stick with just one verse and get that verse and, and dig into that and then catch up with the rest of us in our reading plan. But be faithful to study and to labor in the word. One author I was reading said this, the sedentary lifestyle of a comfortable campus-oriented campus Christianity, so let's just come to the church building, is a distortion of the biblical portrait of radical and mobilized church that Jesus sent into the world. We, we have relegated to let's let the professionals study the word. Let's let them labor and do the ministry instead of all of us owning our areas. All right, two things under that quickly. Number one, be repetitive in your labor. Did you notice that? He says, put them in remembrance. Be repetitive. One of the things that I have always said, and I love this about the ministry, is no day is the same. Um, <laughs> some of you have worked factory jobs, some of you do work factory jobs. I'm just a bit, I don't know if I, if I have any mental, I have mental issues, okay, but I don't know if one of them is, I can't focus on one thing. But if I had to do the same thing every day, all day, I would lose my mind. Repetitive things, I tend to check out on those sometimes. As it relates to the Word, we need to treasure the repetition of it, the, 
the review of it, the revisiting of it over and over and over again. So Timothy is to remember some things, but also to remind others. And we keep coming back to it and back to it and back to it. May I say to you this evening, one of the preacher's responsibilities, me and this setting and you in areas that you preach and influence others, is just to repeat the same things and to remind and to, to renew and to call back to these core values and truths that we find in the Word of God. And you notice at the end of verse 14, he contrasts what Timothy is to do and, and the danger that lurks around them. Notice, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words, and I think the idea here is new words. We're bored with what God has us remembering and repeating. Let's find something new. And notice what happens in verse 14, that are to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And so the admonition is that we stick with the word and it protects us from idle words and foolish words and unproductive words. Um, one of the things I'm learning as a pastor is my job is to first stay on mission and message myself and then to try to help our church do that. Um, these last few years have been interesting to say the least. Um, I don't know if any of you remember our drive-in service where we had like a major thunderstorm come through. For those of you that weren't with us, uh, we met in our south parking lot before we kind of knew the landscape of what we were dealing with health-wise, and I was in the back of a trailer. We have a big, like, 20-foot trailer that the, the tailgate goes down. I think Nick was glad he got out of that trailer because the rain came right after I got up to preach. They're listening on their car radios. We had, like, an FM transmitter um, thing going, and the, the, the trailer, the crosswinds, it's just noodling, and you guys are all with your windshield wipers safely watching like he's about to fly away. We just sang that song, I think that night maybe, who knows. Uh, and it was just, am I committed to this message? And I think a lot of times we're distracted by lesser words. If we could add up how many words process through your life and your brain and your ears on a given week, it's probably about the same amount every week. The problem is most of those words are not this word. And the mature disciple values the repetition of God's truth. Um, some of our teens would be aware of these guys. You heard a guy's name, Dude Perfect? They're like a huge deal, especially, yeah, I got some of the young blood too shaking their head. These guys will <laughs> do a trick shot over and over until they get it. One of their, their breakout uh, moment is they videoed one of their key guys shot a basketball out of an airplane. He's in the plane and made it through a normal size rim. And I forget the distance that it was. He only, he only did it, I think, three times total. Twice, missed it by literally a mile, and he's thinking, this is never going to work. They had a big sponsor and all this. Third shot, buries it. And they were interviewing him, talking about this you know, business and their believers and interesting story. But he said this, just the other day I heard an interview with him. He said this, um, almost any shot is possible if you're willing to put in the reps. Here's my question to you tonight. I love you enough to ask you this. What have you settled for never seeing accomplished in your life that really is just you not willing to put in the reps? Me, not being willing to put in the reps. What in God's word are you unwilling to learn about or apply or live out because you're just not willing to give enough attention to it? We have to labor uh, in the word. Some of God's greatest treasures in his word will come to the one willing to repeatedly revisit it until God breaks loose that uh, in their life. The mature disciple, the sign of a mature disciple, 
is they value careful, consistent review of the faith once delivered to the saints at the expense of lesser, fickle words. I want what God has to say, and I want to hear it over and over and over again. That's the product of discipleship. All right, verse 15. Study (laughs) to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Number two, be precise in labor. So be repetitive. Number two, as you come to the word of God, striving to become a faithful student, be precise. And we see these words carefully crafted here for we who are trying to follow Christ. The word study that is used here is not the word that typically you see in Scripture in reference to a student. It's a word used of a workman, meaning giving the idea of diligence, endeavor, and exerting oneself is the language here. It's not just an overview of the text, it's digging into it, laboring in it until God reveals in it what is uh, his intention. Notice he uses the word approved. This has the idea of standing up to a test, winning the approval of the one who is doing the testing. And so to be approved of God always requires and is preceded by our labor, precisely laboring in the word. Notice the end of verse 15, he says that we are to rightly divide the word of truth, rightly divide. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that expression, but it has the idea of to cut through the word of God carefully. And the best analogy or idea that I think helps open the text to us on that issue, uh, one commentator says this, it's the way the way as an engineer builds a highway so the people of God understand his program for the ages. The word of God is cut. We, we cut through the word and we see how God is leading us uh, through his word. And so being very precise in how we do that. Why do we need to be precise with God's word? Why do we put in the effort to be precise? When we do it as we should, the end of discipleship in the local church and in our own lives is it produces believers who fully know the divine context in which their life plays a key part. So one of the things I love about the Word of God is it basically provides the context so we don't panic or think, what in the world's going on all around us, or my life's just a random jumble of whatever. The, the study of God's Word, the precise study of God's Word provides the context in which to live. Uh, You're in 2 Timothy. Go back to 1 Timothy for just a moment, if you'd allow me to digress or to just take you back to the earlier writing of Paul to Timothy. Verse 12, another very familiar verse. Something jumped out at me just yesterday that I don't think I've noticed before. I think I've misquoted 1 Timothy 4.12 for years. And, And this speaks to the idea of how precise we need to be with the Word. Look at verse 12. Familiar verse, let no man (laughs) despise thy youth. So Timothy was a younger pastor. But be thou an example of the believers in word and in conversation and charity in spirit and faith and in purity. I have quoted that verse for years and said this, be thou an example of the believer, singular. The word there is plural. And the idea is that Timothy, as he's precise with God's word, he's an example of what every believer should be. Now, can I bring that to our context tonight? Me as your pastor, you give me that permission, and you have areas of influence as well. Being studious in the Word is not just for the pastor. So if Paul told Timothy to be an example of the believer in chapter 4 and verse 12 of 1 Timothy, and then he gets to chapter 2 that we're in tonight, 
He's leading on the things that are to be reproduced in the life of every believer. Study, labor in the Word is not just for the preacher. It is for the preacher, but it's also for you. That's a revolutionary thought as it relates to the product God wants uh, in our walk with Him. So this kind of takeaway, a church, including <laughs> North Life Baptist Church, is only as strong and vibrant as the study that doesn't happen in the pastor's office, starting with me. Like if I'm not in the Word in my own home office, in my own personal space, we're not going anywhere fast. We're not the product we should be as a church. And the same is true of you. Is there study going on outside of the official office where the guy who does most of the preaching does his study? It must be a more consistent, uh, laboring kind of intentionality uh, on our part. Where are you not even reading? And where are you just reading? Would you give yourself to studying in a way that pleases the Lord? Brother Kurt and I were talking before church tonight. I think one of the things that we put out there <laughs> to opt out is we say, well, I don't, I don't have the mind as some have. I don't, I don't have the academic, you know, the acumen that some would possess as it relates to understanding and knowledge. My, my EQ is a bit lower than maybe, or my IQ is a bit lower than others. I was reading just the other day this article that would maybe blow that out of the water. According to neurologists, this just came out the other day, our brains have a storage capacity of approximately 2.5 petabytes, P-E-T-A, bytes. That's the equivalent of recording 300 million hours of high-def te television. And then this was the conclusion. Simply put, we have the capacity to learn something new every second of every minute of every hour, of every day, for a thousand lifetimes. We're good on memory. And I've read studies from Einstein talking about how little percentage of our brain capacity we use. Listen, we have no excuse. We may learn differently than someone else. It may not come as easily to us in some way. But God has given us, each of us, certain capacities mentally that must be given more consistently to the Word of God. Labor in it. Uh, don't just put a few minutes into it. Give your heart and attention. All right, number two, go to verse 16. You're like, thanks, Pastor, for that encouragement. All right, it, it cut me as well. Verse 16. So <laughs> the positive is mentioned in verse 15. Now here's the other side of the coin. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. All right, number one. So first of all, study with biblical labor. Number two, study with biblical distance. The word there is distance. Um, I don't know about you, I look back at pictures. Um, I think I've told you the story before. My, my grandparents uh, ran a natural snow ski slope just beyond Carrollton, Ohio. And I have pictures of my parents, uh, my dad especially, his siblings skiing, and just what they're wearing the style, the black and white photos, just that to me feels like a million years ago. Some of you lived that era as well. But have you ever seen like old classic photos and then you look, you're like, that was only 60 years ago or 50 years ago or whatever. It feels like there's so much distance between that world. It feels like a whole nother world. Um, the other day, someone posted this picture with the caption. So here's a picture. I don't, I'm not exactly sure totally what they're doing, but the caption was this. This was dating online back in the 1920s. This is online dating, all right? Um, and it, I, again, I'm not sure exactly where they're headed or what they're 
they're doing, but they're, they're kind of in those uh, zip line. Those are old school zip lines right there, I guess. Um, but the idea of online dating. Um, can I say this as it relates to distance? We have normalized wasting time. And much of it we waste online. Um, I, I, don't, I can't remember who the author was, but somebody said this, our whatever social media feed of your choice, at the judgment seat of Christ, will boldly declare we had more time to pray. And also, I would add to that more time to study God's Word. We have plenty of time, brethren. It's whether we're going to distance ourselves from lesser words and other things to give ourselves to the Word of God. The greatest enemy of discipleship in our church is not that we have too little time. That's not a problem for us. It's how we manage our time. Each of us needs to maybe grow and change. And so tune out the lesser voices and distractions, give ourselves to uh, the Word of God. Here would be just the thought, you know what will take our church to the next level in so many different ways is when we start picking this over everything else. Even stuff that, quote, is important. And we just say, no, this is, this is, this is what I need to focus on. And yeah, we have jobs and we have other things that we must do, but this is the priority and all the optional things in life are second to the Word of God. Um, <laughs> I was in Job recently and you remember God says to Satan, this is a crazy conversation to get your head around. All of Job is a, a challenge to read. But God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? This is God speaking of Job. A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth or hateth or divideth from evil. So that's what God says of Job. Later on in Job, in chapter 23 and verse 12, Job says this. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So the character of Job, not just his reputation that's mentioned in verse 1 of Job 1, everybody else thought that Job was this, God saying it, was because he prioritized God's word above not his treat or snack, but his necessary food. And so if we will give priority to God's word and distance from other things, uh, we can go much further with God. All right, let's talk about a couple of things quickly as it relates to that. Number one, be preventative with distance. So we're talking about <laughs> distancing from other distractions from the Word of God. Be <laughs> preventative. In, in verse 16, if you go back to it that we read, Timothy instructed, is instructed not just to engage with these teachings that are false, he's to shun them. He's not to give them any iota of his energy or time or focus. He is to focus on uh, the Word of God. And it's interesting why he's to shun them. Notice, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Have you ever noticed that ungodliness is not static? Like it, there's a creep to it. There's a, it just moves further, and it's always eating up more ground and territory and head space and heart space. And the reason for that is because ungodliness is not true. Have you ever noticed when you've got out of bounds with truth? Then you start adding to compensate, and one lie leads to another, and one level of deception leads to another, because you're constantly having to adjust. The Word of God keeps us grounded to not increase unto ungodliness, but to continue in faithfulness to the Lord. And so as ungodliness creeps and grows in our world, we have to continue to follow Jesus Christ. Be willing to do that to prevent that creep in your own heart. All right, verse 17. 
<laughs> Notice, and their word will eat as doth a canker, and their word, the word of these vain babblers, these ungodly folks, will uh, eat at us like a canker, uh, canker. And so the idea here would be this, a cancerous type tumor. Uh, the word here has the idea of gangrene, almost a, uh, where something has lost circulation. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hurting the body. It's sucking life and nutrition and blood away from that which is healthy. And in verse 17, notice he lists two proper names, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus. So he lists now at the end of verse 17 two specific false teachers. Um, we don't have time to look at it, but back in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 20, Hymenaeus, Paul had delivered him unto Satan. So we know that, that he was out of bounds, and, and earlier Paul had addressed him. We know not, nothing about Philetus, but the two of them were to be separated from. Um, one of the things I think we would do well in the new year is to consider our relationships. And I'm not saying we're rude, just there are certain folks that what they're doing and where they're headed is the opposite of this book. And we would do well to, to, to create some distance between us and them, a healthy distance that lets God's word be what directs us. All right, verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred, he's referring back to Hymenaeus and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. And so these have wandered from truth and one of the most crucial doctrines of our faith, the resurrection. Paul said without the resurrection, our faith is vain. And the very core and the, the cusp, if you will, the, the hub of our faith, these men had wandered from it through these distractions and these false teachings that they had aligned with. Um, as I mentioned this morning briefly, one of the things that I have felt some pressure on these last few years especially is either from the outside or even unfortunately sometimes from the inside, folks who want us to talk about other things and to get sidetracked on other issues. And we haven't done everything right these last two years. We've figured it out as we've gone, as many of you have as well. But we've tried to stick with the Word of God um, and to preach it and to be faithful to it. And I trust that you have also possessed that same tenacity, staying faithful to what God's Word has said. The only way to not walk with the world is to walk with Jesus. Those are the only two options. And it's not that we have to worry about what's the latest thing from the world. We just say, you know what? I'm walking with Jesus, and I'm not, I'm not shaking. I'm not moving from that. I'm going to adhere to uh, that commitment. The believer... Uh, produced through discipleship and sustained through discipleship is the best defense toward the corruption of vain thoughts and words. The best thing you can do to stay faithful to the Lord is to walk with Jesus. I know that sounds so simple and basic, but just stay in his word, stay faithful to him, distance from anything and everything else. All right, verse 19, quickly. <laughs> Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Number two, so be preventative with distance. That's one benefit of it. Number two, be confident. Be confident with distance. I've mentioned this several times now. I think one of our struggles as a believer is we think that if I go with God and I don't go with the world, I'm going to miss out on something. And there's almost like this, well, I guess I, guess I can't do that. I'm a Christian. And it's almost like we're settling and we're going to miss out versus I give up these things for the other things the things that God has promised. And so this, this 
confidence. Uh, Paul here says that, hey, these folks have abandoned, we're going to stay faithful because God is worthy of our confidence. In the midst of this tension, Paul finds comfort, <laughs> excuse me, in the assurance that he finds in the foundation of God. Notice the two aspects of the foundation. First, the divine side, uh, and then the human side. From the divine side, the Lord knows those who are His. He knows them, not only in that He recognizes us, but He approves and appreciates us. Isn't that amazing? God knows us. He knows where we're at. He knows where we're walking, and man, that gives us confidence as we follow Him. And then the human side of this seal or this confidence we have with God is that we who name the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Um, one of the things that I, I've said this before, one of the things that I find most precious in my walk with the Lord is when I say no to something because God's Word tells me to. Like there's something about doing the Word, whether it's something positive, like I step out and witness to somebody that and I'm, I just feel uncomfortable or whatever the case may be, or also when I say no to something, I distance from something because God's Word told me to. That can start a revival in your soul. It can start a revival in mine. So being willing to be confident in God and then to say no to that which is against God, to live out godliness in this present world. Um, you ever, do you think that maybe the other disciples struggled with what happened with Judas? Uh, we'll get to that in our text, but I've been reading through some of the gospel accounts, and um, when they figure out who he actually was and what he was doing, he was demon-possessed possessed by the devil himself. He betrayed the Lord, um, just all the dynamics of that. Um, somebody was talking about how that must have affected the other disciples. Do you struggle with that? You see someone else bailing that claimed Christ, and then they gave up their confidence, or they never had their faith and confidence in Christ. Someone made this statement, I think helps us focus on the Lord when that occurs. The other 11 disciples did not stop believing in Jesus because of the actions of Judas. If the, and here's the application. This is good. If the actions of others wreck your faith, then you have to ask yourself, was my faith in Jesus or others? And you have to reach that point. I, I think I'm there with the Lord's help. I'm still working through it. I'm going with Jesus no matter what you all do. And I hope you have the same vibe. Like, we have to get to that point if we're going to be as focused on Christ as we should be. We still love others and seek to lead them and encourage them, but we have to have that kind of confidence. I'm with Christ, and nothing's going to, going to shake that. And so the product of discipleship is a confidence in us. We know that we're not missing out. We know that God has the best for us uh, in the future. All right, so this application, then let's talk about the vision implication of being a student of the Word. When is the last time you chose God's Word over anything? That's a convicting question. Are you regularly choosing God's Word over things, or it's if I get time, I'll get in the Word? That will I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you'll start that tomorrow in Luke chapter 6, and if you've got to catch up a bit on reading, and you say, I don't care what else I have tomorrow. In fact, I'm actually going to choose something. I'm going to choose it over something. Don't choose over your wife or, you know, come on. You've got other time you can choose. But choose... Uh, the word over something else. Are you doing that? When's the last time you did? Secondly, where do you need to do it more consistently by choosing the community, the communal aspects of that study with the church that God has provided for you? All right, so these couple of takeaways. Number one is the Bible reading plan, and that's on the back of 
The bookmark we gave you today, if you didn't get one, they're out on the table, several places they're posted. You can pick that up and join in with us in Luke chapter 6 tomorrow. Um, <laughs> secondly, the Hear Journal. Did that video help at all? Just kind of what the Hear, the heart of that, the man that is in the video is the author of the book we're using. Um, and I love that he emphasizes the A, which is the application, but then gets to the response. I've done now five entries. Our, the leaders of our small groups we started this past week, um, in all of my R's, I think if my memory is right, are prayers to God. I love that part. So I actually write out a prayer to God. Lord, help me with Luke chapter 1 to have more of the spirit I see in Mary or Zacharias or Elizabeth or whatever, and, and, and giving that to the Lord. So that's kind of our sequence, um, and that is on the other side of the bookmark. I hope that you'll practice at that. We will work at that in our, our discipleship groups, kind of working through how that goes. We'll start with one. I think it's in week two. We'll let you guys do one and bring it back, and we'll kind of banter that around. So it'll be a slow build to that, but I hope that you'll become a student of the Word. All right, number two, go to verse 20. <laughs> Man, our time's going quickly here. Number two, so we become a faithful student of the Word. Number two, we become a sanctified instrument of the Spirit. A sanctified instrument of the Spirit. We have several nurses in our church, some that are actively working, some who are closet nurses, you're now stay-at-home moms or other things. Um, but I heard this statement the other day, a, a nurse was sharing that one of the mantras of nurses is this, as they train new nurses, watch one, do one, teach one. Watch one, do one, teach one. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, why has God put his spirit in me? Why, why has he put it in me? And I think sometimes we're very self-absorbed with the Holy Spirit. So I can feel comfort, so I can have clarity even as I read the Word. The Spirit is, wants to use you as a vessel. And he wants to use you as an instrument that is at his beck and call. It's at his uh, prompt uh, disposal. And so if, if we're going to be the instrument of the Holy Spirit, it's something that we have to work at being sanctified. I think a lot of us want to be used by the Spirit, but we're not willing to be prepared to be sanctified and set apart in a way that pleases and honors him. And so we need to work at being a sanctified instrument. Only with consistent discipleship will we perpetually be convinced that God has a part for us in his plan to be filled, to be gifted, and to be called by his spirit. All right, let's talk about a couple things quickly in the moments we have left. Number one, be sanctified with spiritual preparation. Spiritual preparation. Look at verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Number one, be distinctive with preparation. The word there, distinctive, be distinctive. So what's going to separate you from other Christians and other followers, so-called of Jesus Christ, is you're prepared. Like if God wants to move tonight or this week in our county and in our world, are you ready or are you flat-footed? You know, you got to kind of get yourself worked up into merging with what God is about to do. Is there a poise? Is there a preparation? Discipleship is the secret to maintaining that preparation. We don't have time to break down the text, but in verse 20, he's talking about basically this big house of everybody who claims to be a Christian. Some that are vessels of honor and some that are vessels of dishonor. You notice a couple things about these vessels. First, there is an important distinction between the materials of which the vessels are made. 
Secondly, there's a difference in the use to which they are put. Finally, there's a distinction as to their ultimate destiny. The vessels of wood and clay are discarded. Those of gold and silver are retained as valuable. And all of it comes back to what, it, what are we made of? What are we prepared with? Positions us to be on one of those two trajectories. Um, I hear all the time people say, well, with all things being equal, things are not equal. They're not equal with God. I'll tell you that, are they? The only thing that's equal with God is we all deserve hell. We all deserve condemnation. After that, it's what we do with His Word. It's what we do with His Son. It's what we do with His Spirit. That's the differentiator of where we're at and where we're headed, the product of God's grace at work uh, in us. All right, verse 21. So what are we to do with that? If a man therefore purge himself from these, I think a reference back to Hymenaeus and Philetus as well as others that are vessels of dishonor, if we purge ourselves from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use. Notice, and prepared, and prepared unto every good work. And so we see this separation, this distance, this distinctiveness allows us to be a vessel unto honor. I think Paul, talking to Timothy, I think Timothy was his pet project. You just see it in language. Uh, uh, Timothy's father, without getting into it, was a Greek, probably was not a believer. His mom and his grandmother were believers. They had raised this young man. But Timothy didn't have a lot of male uh, figure, especially spiritually, leadership in his life. And so Paul had really in some ways adopted this young man. And he's so concerned that his choicest disciple keep himself usable to the Lord. And that's, that's the motive of even today. The spirit of this is not to try to start something new or get us all worked up and foaming at the mouth. I just think there are things God could use us to do. People we could impact if we could get this right and keep this right and work at, at, at improving in these areas, God could use us in ways He's currently not. If God's not using you tonight, if God's not using you right now, it's because you've chosen that. God, His Spirit is in you if you know Him as Savior, and that Spirit's just itching to bless and touch and change and move in other hearts and lives. He, he wants to do it through you, but we have to be prepared. Do we believe that enough to give ourselves to being a sanctified instrument? All right, verse 22. He gets into some specifics now of how to do this for Timothy and us. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Number two, to be distinctive with preparation. Number two, be pure. Be pure. Um, the other day we were driving down the road and I saw this sign. This is not my picture of the sign, but I found the sign online afterwards. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, pass it on. It's kind of like the, we were talking about morale this morning, but the government. These are our tax dollars at work right here, okay? So let's, let's benefit from them, okay? Um, but the slogan was, a picture of the Wright brothers and their flyer, the right idea will fly. Say, Pastor, why are you using the illustration? Here's the thought. If we get it right, it'll take off on its own. So if we're pure, the power and presence and the work of God will just naturally follow. We just have to get it right. We have to get the right idea about our sanctification and what our family should be doing and not doing and what we need to be thinking about, and the list goes on and on. If we can just get it right, God, His Spirit, will cause the rest of it to soar in His time and in his way. And here's what we do. 
we focus on justifying where we're at and why we're not being used by God. Instead of getting it right and letting God bless and work as only he can. Go with what God has said, specifically in the areas of purity. All right, so quickly here in verse 22, you see that he's to separate himself not only from himself, not only from uh, evil men, but also to separate himself from his own lust. We tend to isolate ourselves. This is, a, this is the fraud of those who isolate. You hunker down with your family away from the big, scary, evil world, there's still flesh in that house, right? There's still pride and, and blind spots and selfishness, and the list goes on and on. It is not just out there, it's also in here. And so the disciple is, is working on purity, not just distance from the world, but distance from his own flesh and priorities. And so we have to be open to that. We have to be pure to be a prepared vessel. The end of verse 22 Notice this is not just individual, it's communal. Do this with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. One of the things I've been trying to stress today is discipleship is not Lone Ranger style. We're to do it together. And the reason we falter and we're not as pure and adhering to purity as much as we should be is we're trying to do it without the accountability and the support and the encouragement of other believers. And so Paul tells Timothy, don't isolate Pastors should not walk from the stage, and I've been doing it the last few weeks just with stuff going around. I'm not to isolate from you. You're not to isolate from me. We're to be uh, together working out these things that God has commanded us to do together. The primary reason for our erratic version of walking with Jesus is because it's too individualized and lacks the corporate accountability and encouragement that we need. The other day I heard someone say this. There's a guy I read and follow a bit that he just says things real bluntly. And, and I appreciate that in our day because very few will do that. But here was the statement. He that is taught only by himself has a fool for a mentor. Did you follow that? He that is only taught by himself has a fool for a mentor. If you're only listening to yourself and you're trying to even work out your relationship with God on your own, uh, you're a fool. You're on a fool's errand. We need others to help us uh, be what we should be before the Lord. So often we're flat-footed spiritually when God is ready to move and work. Regular, consistent disciples, discipleship gives us the depth and the poise needed to be ready to lean into whatever small window of opportunity God sends to our church. Are we mission ready? That's the big word in the military circles. Mission ready. Are we mission ready? If we're not pure, if we're not walking with Christ, uh, we are not. All right, secondly and lastly, look if you will, verse 23 second area of sanctification, to be a, a vessel that the Spirit can use, an instrument that He can use. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. The servant of the Lord must not strive, notice, but be gentle. There's the word from our theme for this prior year. Be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. All right, lastly, sanctified with spiritual influence. We need to be sanctified with spiritual influence. Now we're going to talk about Timothy and each of us where we influence others. Um, sometimes I think if we're not careful, we feel like we don't <laughs> have any influence. Can I remind you, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you have great potential and probably you are influencing people more than you realize. The Spirit is at work in you. Um, Pat Morley, who's written several books on men, godly manhood, said this, a micro dot of the Holy Spirit is worth more than the combined GDP of the richest nations in the world. 
There's great power where the Spirit is. And if you have the Spirit in you, there should be influence and impact happening. The question is, is it that which is spiritual? Is it pleasing and honoring to the Lord? How do we make sure that's true? Number one, jot this down, be selective with your influence. Be selective with your influence. Basically what verse 23 is saying to Timothy, there's some questions you should not give an answer to. There's some dialogue that you should not engage in. It's a waste of your time. It's not the place that I want you to be an influence. And so being selective with our influence. Not every question deserves an answer from you. Not every social media post requires you to blow out of the water their false teaching and doctrine. And the list goes on and on. Some coworker, uh, we need to be very careful and selective in where we exert our influence. Um, pastor friend of mine was talking about we long-winded preachers. I'm not, but I've heard some pastors are, okay? As all of you smirk at me. Um, and he, he was talking about when he comes out from preaching, over-preaching or going just a little long to say at least, and he said this. He said, he was talking about the weather, how cold it was. He said, it's colder right now than a nursery worker's stare after an hour-plus sermon. You know, come on, man, help me out here. You know, that cold stare. Being selective, you know, not going too long or verbose in our influence. And that, that wherever the Lord applies that, except to me, I, I hope that you'll take that. But being selective with our influence. Uh, Timothy here is challenged <laughs> to not interact with trifling. And the word there, stupid, is actually the word. Stupid questions. Don't waste your energy and time on that. Here will be a thought tonight as it relates to we who want to be mature disciples. Only mature disciples know what discussions and debates to abstain from, here it is, thus conserving the energy of his or her local church. Like if we spend all of our time answering all these bizarre questions and, and conspiracies and theories and, and, and you know deep state kind of things, if, if that's where we spend our time, we have nothing left to do what we know God has called us to do. The Spirit has not been given to us to energize our defense of of some secondary issue. The energy and the power is to be exerted in the cause of Jesus Christ, and so we must be selective with our influence. Could it be that you're not being as influential as you could be because you're, 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 you're dispersing it without discernment? Uh, be very careful how you exert the influence of the Spirit around you. All right, lastly, quickly, verse uh, 25, <coughs> excuse me, verse 24. Servant must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Lastly, be gentle with our influence. And I hope this last year, as we would have unveiled our theme last year of uh, being gentle, going forward with gentleness, that all that we did, our book study at the end of the year and other initiatives that God stirred in you about that. But we continue to need to be gentle with our influence. Verse 24 says that false teaching will always be divisive, but the Lord's servant will be a promoter of unity. Um, we need to be of that vein of following Christ. Be gentle to everyone, willing and ready to teach those who will learn. Um, and the idea of forbearance that's mentioned here literally means ready to bear evil treatment without resentment. Are we known for being that? My version of discipleship is I'm willing to bear the brunt of evil treatment without even resentment toward that person or that situation. That's the spirit that we have when we're following Christ. Verse 25, we're to be meek. Um, a person can wrong us, and yet we refuse uh, to have a wrong spirit. We have this strength under control. All right, verse 26, <laughs> lastly, and if we do that, 
the hope would be that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. False teaching is always the handiwork of Satan. God's grace through us as followers of him can bring others back to him. It can rescue them. It can bring them into right relationship with the Lord. Um, the product of a mature disciple, the one who is a right disciple, has the right position, but also the right disposition. So a lot of times we know it's right. I'm faithful. But is the disposition there, this gentleness that God instructs us uh, to have? The product of discipleship is a person consistently walking in the Spirit with the tone and pace that God can use to impact the biggest holdouts to His grace and forgiveness. We win them over, not with threats and not with abrasiveness, but with gentleness. All right, lastly, let me show you this picture. So we talked about this morning, which would be more of the process, the scripture reading, the Bible memory, hear journal, accountability, and prayer. Here's the product. If I can convince you, not with the process, but with the product, I guarantee you, whatever you choose to do and God leads you to do this year in our church, I trust you'll buy into the discipleship emphasis. You will be more missional. You will be. You will be more accountable in a way that's constructive and helpful. You'll be reproducible. Two of you helps the church be better. It's a net gain if there were two of you. Um, communal, you're more open and transparent. And lastly, and most importantly, you're more scriptural uh, in your thinking. So we'll talk about more of that in the days ahead. But I hope that you'll join with us in that product. All right, let me give you this last statement and we'll be done. <laughs> I heard a pastor say this the other day. I don't know if you've had... Um, our family's gone through the miscarriage of a baby, and many of you have had uh, someone die at an untimely time, maybe even later on. Um, a pastor friend of mine said this the other day. He said, small caskets are always the heaviest. Small caskets are always the heaviest. Can I say to you tonight, as it relates to the product God wants to, to produce in us, I don't want to bury you, and I don't want to bury you to bury me without me reaching my full potential. There's nothing heavier I can think of than for us to end without reaching what God wanted to produce in us. A grace that's able, a spirit that's able, a word that's able, and we just weren't willing to be open to what God wanted to do in us. Here's the question, we're done. Will you allow God to produce in you a faithful student of his word and a sanctified instrument of his spirit? Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for your word.